This is the Nutanix Community Podcast with Dwayne Lesnar and Angelo Luciani, episode 61. Here we go. Happy New Year, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful holiday and excited about the new year ahead. This week, Dwayne and I chat with Mike McGee about Nutanix Files, which is our software-defined scale-out file storage solution. We cover deployment scenarios, use cases, and we have some fun with DNS. This was recorded during the holidays. Let's join the conversation. Today, we have a co-worker of mine. I'm glad to have him on the show. Mike McGee, welcome aboard. Thank you, Dwayne. It's amazing to be here. Really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, typical shenanigans getting started today. Um, I wanted to pick your brain about um, something that used to be called AFS. Um, I think now it's called something else. Do you happen to know what it's called? I think it's called Nutanix Files, Dwayne. <laughs> wow. So good. So good. Yeah. Um, you've been working with Nutanix Files for a while now. Um what have you uh, been seeing out in the, the field? Yeah, so I've been working with Nutanix Files for going on a year now. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's been out there in the wild for roughly a couple of years. I know you have a lot of experience with it uh, as well. It's, um, you know, it's, it's taking up a lot of traction. I think it's representing close to 10% of our customer base at this point, which is pretty cool considering, you know, it's still relatively new and still building out functionality. And I think the the biggest thing with files at this point in this two year journey is where we're at a we're at a place where it can functionally replace just about any other NAS solution out there. So when it comes to feature functionality, when it comes to scalability, when it comes to simplicity and other another another ways it ties into our core platform, it's really mature to the point where it can suit just about any NAS use case that we have out there. And we're seeing that, you know, really proof in the pudding with our customer base. Now, you, you used to be or a former EMC employee back in the day. I think mostly it was SQL. Is that correct? Or did you get a chance to work on, on their NAS appliances too? Yeah, you, you, know, you know, back in the day, I mean, I was EMC for, for roughly just short of 16 years. And wow. you know, back, back, back in the day, it was Symmetrics and Solera. How and old Solera, are you? And Solera is the NAS head. I'm old enough. <laughs> so, so, Solera, so Solera was the, the NAS head uh, kind of associated with, uh, with a SIM, kind of a bolt-on that later got bolted on to a VNX, and you, and you had that whole mid-range VNX solution. So I've had some experience with that. Um, it, that later got turned into something that was more software-defined and called Unity. So I, I, did, I did get some, some, some tail end of my time there working with that. You know, Isilon came along at some point, so I had some experience there as well. So, yeah, no, I've, I've got to touch a bit of the – you know, the EMC portfolio around around NAS over the years, sir. Yeah, I think perspective is always good when when dealing with things, kind of know what's happened in the past and, and hopefully not repeat any transgressions. Uh, how, you know, how would you say it stacks up to other solutions? And at least from a deployment point of view, like we, if you're a Nutanix customer, you know, potentially have extra space sitting on your cluster, or I guess maybe maybe you want to just spin up something totally new as well. Yeah, that's been so. Either of those use cases is is we, we've been seeing with our with our customer base, and, and obviously, if you're an existing Nutanix customer, you understand the value of the platform and 
being software defined and incrementally scale and one click upgrades and one click deployments and all that good secret sauce. And you get that essentially exactly the same way with files, just as another drop down within, within Prism and within our overall management. So we have seen, at least initially, a lot of the first deployments are with customers that have existing clusters and they have just a hand, you know, it doesn't take a lot of CPU, additional CPU to stand up a Nutanix files cluster. It's more about just raw capacity, storage capacity that you have available. And so customers say, hey, you know what, I got this kind of aging infrastructure over here. And, you know, I've, I've bought into Nutanix. I love the idea. And, you know, I don't want to keep this silo around anymore, the kind of proprietary NAS device if I don't have to, or even a Windows file server in a Windows file server cluster, you know, scale out file server or even a standalone clustered instance. Because that even has its own management complexities around upgrading and Windows licensing and, and things like that. So we've been, as with existing customers, somewhat replacing those siloed environments and, and maybe more difficult to manage environments, if you will, on existing infrastructure. But one of the, the cool things that we've done recently is we've revamped the licensing around Nutanix files. We've made it decoupled and functionally standalone from our core, you know, Acropolis or AOS software. Right. Mike, so, that doesn't that doesn't sound like a fun exercise. Bringing up licensing, why 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 did we do that? <laughs> well, well, so it was so if you want that standalone use case, so if you want that, you know, you, maybe you're non-existing Nutanix customer today, or you want something that is just for file storage, SMB and NFS, and the, and those use cases that sit on top of those protocol variants. You can just have Nutanix files and and not necessarily pay for some you know any of the extra stuff that we do with AOS because honestly with AOS we're doing VM storage we're doing block services we're doing buckets we're doing all, all kinds of additional functionality so if you just wanted the files piece we can peel that out give that to you in a capacity base on demand you know as you consume that's just functionally what you're what you're paying for up front and you know really give you the the, the benefits of our platform but with a kind of a files focused solution. With, so, with capacity, so with the capacity based licensing, can you have like if you buy like a, a 50 terabyte license, can you spread that over multiple Nutanix clusters or is that only for the the use case of it's dedicated? Nope. So that that capacity goes across whatever you've decided to do. So whether it's a standalone cluster that's only running files, the license can apply there. If you're running files, even in a mixed environment, you can take some of that same licensing and capacity and run it over in a mixed environment or really across clusters. Ultimately, it's across clusters, no matter what hardware you chose, whether they're running other services or not. Um, so it really gives you that that flexibility to, to apply it anywhere that uh, that you'd like. And does that hold true for the DR? Do you need a, another license for the DR side? So as a as a piece of the files licensing, you do get some of the core capabilities with AOS. So, you know, for example, when you mentioned DR, we have data protection, protection domains, and with files, we automatically create a protection domain for you. And we throw all the file server memes in there and we throw all the volume groups that support the shares and keep that up to date. So if you wanted to do DR with files, you would simply license your DR cluster with that same files license capacity based that you would have on your source, and then you could be able to do a DR operation and be fully fully licensed for that. So you could use the same 50 terabyte license if you if you were under it. Absolutely, because ultimately at the, end, at the end of the day, it's just the total amount. So if you bought 50, 
and you had, you're just using 10 on your source, you functionally have that same amount available in your target cluster as well. Would it be 10 or would you be actually be using 20 if you replicated it? It, it, would, it would be 20 in that case. Yeah. yeah. So you're essentially doubling what you'd be doing from a DR perspective. Yeah. But it would fall under that kind of bucket of, of terabytes or, or petabytes that you've, that you've already licensed. So what did we do with current customers that had an ultimate license? Yeah. So if you were ultimate today, and for those that might not be familiar you with ultimate, it was kind of carte blanche, right? You got the majority of the services that we offered with AOS and files was one of them. And there was, it wasn't capacity based, it was node based. And with this capacity based licensing, it's going to lower your costs. So instead of having to license every node in a cluster or every node across, across multiple clusters, you're just worried about the capacity, right? So if you're an existing ultimate customer, we, we do have a grandfathering uh, process, if you will. And out of the gate, what you're going to get is 10 terabytes per node that has oh, been licensed for, 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 for ultimate. Um, uh, this is a very generous grandfather uh, in this case because you know we've we've had customers that even aren't even using files yet that had a hundred nodes licensed for ultimate and now they have a hundred terabytes of of files that they could use uh, in their in their existing infrastructure if they chose or standalone or or kind of that mix that we that we talked about even for dr uh, well, so um, it's a big benefit that's pretty good because my grandfather was not generous you know we're talking like the guy that had five cents and thought it was like a hundred bucks so. This is good to hear. <laughs> the um, so you mentioned file server VMs. Can you talk about like different deployments? So what you know what is a deployment of of Nutanix files? Yeah, so I mean, you go into Prism, you hit the drop down, the same way you manage everything else, upgrades, etc. But in this case, you'd go to a little file server menu. You'd click file server. You'd say, Hey, I want to create a brand new file server which functionally represents a namespace. So, you know, if you're familiar with SMB and universal naming convention, the WAC, WAC server name, WAC share name, et cetera, that server name becomes that global namespace across that, that instance you're creating. And you put in your credentials, you put in your namespace name, a few IP addresses, you hit go, and 10 minutes later, what we'll do is we'll deploy a set of file server VMs. And as a part of that deployment, you can specify a performance requirement the number of users that would connect to the share if it's a VDI use case and you had 3,000 users, you can go and go in and say, hey, 3,000 users, how many, you know, what, what should the config look like? And we'll spit back the amount of CPU and the amount of memory per file server VM and the number of file server VMs we're going to deploy as a part of it. So a base config that would support, say, you know, 750 users would be three file server VMs with 4B CPU and 12 gigs of memory. And that's our, that's our default. That's our base. So you hit click, you click go, and we'll go and deploy those file server VMs for you. We'll create anti-affinity rules to make sure they run on different nodes on an HV cluster or if it's an ESXi cluster. Um, and we'll, we'll do that full deployment, register an Active Directory for you, uh, add the necessary DNS, DNS entries manually, automatically for you, or if you need to, you can do it manually after the fact. And again, within 10 to 15 minutes, you've got a file server ready to rock and roll. I guess if you're not on, if you're not using uh, DNS from Active Directory, then you would be looking at doing it manually. Yeah, so so you know, Open LDAP stuff works, and you know, we 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 we've qualified certain things. But yeah, if you're not using Active Directory, if you're using some other form of uh, of a DNS server, you can we we actually give you the full list of things that you would need to register. So the IP addresses on the client side of the file server relationship. 
and the associated global namespace name, and then also the file server VM name. We'll give that to you in a nice little checkbox list. You can download it to CSV or JSON, and then you can hand it over to your DNS administrator if it's a large organization, and they'll go through and go ahead and put those entries in for you, and you're ready to go. Uh, we, we, that- we do load balancing on the file server VMs from a uh, DFS referrals perspective, and we technically support those referrals, whether you're using DNS or if you, even if you're just doing IP address based. So if, even if you're just putting in the IP address of, the, of one of the file server VMs, we'll discover what file server VM owns the share or top level directory you're trying to connect to, and we'll redirect you at that level as well. So DNS or not, we'll, we, we use referrals at the end of the day. At Angelo's last job, that was his main role was adding uh, DNS records. So <laughs> that, that, that sounds that sounds about his speed. I, I'd say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just gotta throw him under the bus somehow. Um, so you can have like like a base config is three VMs, I guess, for a standard Nutanix cluster. Are there options for one and two node if you want to, you know, kind of run it out in a, a robo environment? Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of give you the full the full gambit there. You can start with three and scale up to 16 today. We're also looking to, to qualify larger up to 32. And it is independent of the underlying hardware. So you could do a three node file server VM based files cluster on top of a you know 16 node Nutanix cluster. There's no one to one need or one to one relationship. It also gives you ability to scale out later if you want to expanded across a larger hardware substrate. But if you do have a robo use case, I mean, obviously you can do a three node, small, you know, 1000 series cluster in robo. And we have lots of customers doing that. Uh, you know, one of our public case studies is uh, International Speedway Corporation. They have 13 different sites and racetracks around the country in the, in the United States where they have different kind of deployments. Some are larger with five and six nodes, some are smaller with three node. So you can absolutely use existing platforms with three file server VMs for remote office and branch office. But if you want something even even smaller from an issue, from a uh, node count perspective, so we do offer one node clusters, if you will. Uh, sounds kind of uh, kind of contradictory, but you know, a one node instance of AOS doing mirroring within the node. We also have two node robo solutions, so two nodes where you can, you can have some VMHA for these really small sites. So we do offer a file server solution for that. Instead of doing a three-node file server VM cluster, we'll just do a one-node file server VM cluster. So whether it's a a single physical node or two physical nodes, you would do a one-node file server VM cluster on top of that, and that would give you the file services exactly the same way. Exact same features, nothing really changes. You just don't have uh, multiple file server VMs for load balancing and for HA at at the file server level. You're now relying on VMHA for example, if you're a two-node physical cluster, you know, VM restarting on from node one to node two, if there's a failure or an upgrade or what have you. So, no, I like Angelo, and I don't want him, like, doing all these DNS update records, uh, you know, like, on his he gets Windows. Them wrong anyway. He gets them wrong anyway. We yeah, so, like, and... like, he probably had, like, eight or ten Windows VMs rolling around in his environment. So if, if he were to deploy Nutanix files... And, you know, he's got 2,000 users where he's working. How does that data get spread across all of these file server VMs? Is it just, how does it decide? I got, you know, I got all this horsepower. How do I get to use it all? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of load balancing things we do uh, really under the covers. You know, so we talked about DNS and entries and whatnot. We're not, we're not load balancing based on DNS or, or anything along those lines. We're only using DNF, DNS to take a client and point them in the right direction to 
where we've already balanced the system. So, you know, if you do a base deployment, you've got three files of VMs are all available for, for share ownership. And so we'll, as you create a share or we have something called a distributed share, we'll rebalance things across the different file server VMs based on directory. And ultimately, we're, what we're looking at is how busy is that file server VM from a memory, CPU, and storage perspective. And then we'll, we'll rank them, so to speak, as to you know, how available they are and, and whether they're uh, a better candidate for taking ownership of a given relationship. So we'll do that on initial placement. And then over time, we'll, we'll stay and we'll monitor the system. And we do this as a background process. We obviously give you charts and performance, uh, you know, at the VM level, at the file server level, at the storage level, at the server level, physical, the same way we do with everything else, HCI through Prism and through our APIs. But with file specifically, we'll, we'll do that on our own. And then we have something that we call a performance optimization that will give a recommendation of what we think we should do to help uh, remediate a bottleneck, so to speak. So you know, say... Yep, you ahead. don't have to you don't have to like oversize these things, right? You can start small and let you know let this functionality kind of right size you as you're growing. Exactly. Yep. So you, you can start small and incrementally scale. You know, a lot of the benefits we talk about with Nutanix is start small incrementally scale. We didn't want to not have this for a file server, so it's core part and parcel to our, our file server solution. So you can start with three nodes and add another, add another, add another. As you grow, you know, if you start with a thousand people in your organization, your company, you know, goes through uh, and buys some other organization, and now you have another 500 users, you could scale up your file server VMs by hot plugging more memory and CPU. You can scale out by adding another uh, file server VM if that would help balance that that additional user load. And whether you do it manually as a pre preemptive operation because you know what's coming ahead and you want to scale for it. Or even if you you didn't quite prepare for it, and all of a sudden you've you've got more connections than you thought, you got more users than you thought, and you need to scale, we'll actually give you that recommendation. We bubble that into the into the GUI based on that performance optimization work that I told you, and you, it's just a one-click operation. And if we think you should rebalance, you hit go, and we'll rebalance for you. If you think it should be a scale up or scale out, you just click yes, I agree, go ahead, and we'll do that in the background for you. That seems pretty slick. I just thought maybe the optimization, like all these internal reports went to your house and then you just decided for customers. Well, it goes to Angelo's. And then, you know, when he's not busy doing the DNS records, then he'll, he'll kind of, you know, he might give you a call and let you know. Yeah. It's a DNS, a DNS kind of day today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, blame the network. It's not the network, it's DNS. So, um, what I know that there's different share types. Um, I think maybe kind of talking about the home share would be beneficial because um, when I was covering it, it seemed like always the it always came up anyway. Uh, the differences between the two. Yeah, there's the the and we we've actually renamed them in the in the latest releases to make them consistent across SMB and NFS. As we as we approach true multi protocol support with the three five release. We, you know, we wanted to make sure the naming was consistent because on the SMB side, we call it a home share and a general share as the two types. And on the NFS side, we called them sharded and, and non-sharded. So we wanted to start making that more consistent from a, you know, from overall experience. So I think the terminology I'll use going forward is standard and distributed. Uh, a standard share, which mapped to a general share, same exact same thing, just a different name. A standard share is really you just create a share. You know, you go into, you know, one click, create new share, go. 
that would be its own entity that could be owned by a given file server VM. So think of think of a large environment, maybe you have 10 file server VMs. When you create a, gen, a general share or a standard share, that would only ever be owned by one file server VM at a time. It could move to any file server VM, but only one could, could own it. So any users that would use that share would always go to the same file server VM. So for performance, scaling, et cetera, you know, if you had 3,000 users and you wanted, wanted them to all go to the same general share, you would need to make sure that all your file server VMs as individuals could handle those number of connections and throughput requirements, et cetera. And if you didn't think through it and, you know, didn't scale for it, you know, you, you could hit a bottleneck. And we had some customers hit that when, when you know, they did a end user computing BDI environment, they had 5,000 users and they put them all in one general share. So even though they scaled out and had 10 file server VMs, they were only ever using one. So that, that'll lead to a bad day. And that's why we have what we call a distributed share. And a distributed share is, is similar to single share, but it's automatically balanced across all the file server VMs within the cluster. And the layer at which we do that is, a, is, is at the folder. And, and technically, it's called something that we call a top-level directory or, or TLD. And that's the first folder within a share. So think of a you know, UNC path, WAC, WAC, global server name, global namespace, WAC share name. In this, in this case, the share name would be your distributed share or, in other words, home share, as it was previously called. And then WAC first folder. And that first folder is your TLD. So as you create these top-level directories, each one of them can be owned by a different file server VM at a time. So now you're balancing not at the share level per file server VM, it's at the top-level directory per file server VM. And it's a great way of doing it for VDI. If you think about profile directories, home directories, hence the name, the initial name of that functionality, you're gonna have thousands of these, right? So, or, or, or at least hundreds or, or dozens to where it's not, it's not difficult at all to create multiple top-level directories per user, you know, percent username percent. If it's a profile within Citrix or within Active Directory, that gets its own folder that lands on a different file server VM that can be load balanced initially and then over time with that performance optimization, like I mentioned. Um, so that's the core difference: is uh, you're either load balancing at the top directory level with a with a distributed or home share, or you're doing it share by share if it's a general or now what we call a standard share. And that works think, the same for NFS or SMB, by the way. I think the, the neat thing about that for me would be that you could actually have one group policy to control everything. Because like, if you, you know, if you're kind of dealing with bare metal and you have, you know, X number of NAS heads that you need to split your users up because of performance issues, it now becomes a real pain in the wazoo deciding how you're going to break up those users to assign, you know, different home home paths or directories. So that's pretty it's pretty good. Yeah, all the, all that same namespace and same share makes it makes it super easy, and it's and it's very it, it's very scale scalable, right? So, we create what you can consider chunks underneath that you know that distribution. Uh, we're we're leveraging volumes under the covers, and and we're creating a file system across a set of virtual disks that are distributed across all the different controller VMs. We create five of these for every file server VM that you have. So if you had five file server VMs. When you create a home share, we'll create 25 of these file systems, all of which that can support 140 terabytes each. So it's super scalable under the covers, and you might never need to, to have that amount. It's great. It's all thin provisioned and pre-allocated, but it doesn't actually take up any space. But it's there for you know the total amount of storage that might be within that, that given home share. So it's, um, 
it's just a massively parallel, scalable system supporting those kinds of, uh, you know, underneath a single share when it comes to that distributed share or, or home share type. That 140 terabytes, that's that's new, right? That came out in 3.2? It did. So if you were on the 3.x train of files, and if you're, you know, if you want to get a little wonky and into some more, some more of the kind of release details, we've always had a 2.x train of files and a 3.x train. And the never... 2.x go on the two X trains. You would never go on the two X train. Just sounds, yeah. it just sounds less, yeah. you know, it just doesn't yeah. sound as cool. But the cool thing about the two X train is it was supported on a long-term service release of AOS. So we have the short-term release and we have a long-term release just basically means how long are we going to support that given release of AOS. So our long-term release has been a 5.5 train. So a lot of our customers are on 5.5 they had to deploy 2.x to files because that's what was supported with the 5.5 release. The 3.x release required 5.6 or higher. So that meant that you had to jump to a short-term AOS release to get to the 3.x version of, uh, of Nutanix files. So the, the reason I bring this up is for that specific bit of functionality where we support 140 terabytes underneath a given uh, a general share or, or a given set of top-level directories within a volume group, is you need to be on you need to have started on 3.x to have the base functionality in place to get the benefit with specifically again I'm getting wonky the 3.2 release so that all started like the 140 terabyte support started with 3.2 but to get the benefits with 3.2 you had to start with 3.0 or 3.001 was the first 3.0 release see that's what i mean i wouldn't go on that 2x train that's yep yeah. so the good the good news is on if you want to be on the, the the cooler, you know, the cool kids, you know, Angela's on the DNS 2.0 train, you know, <laughs> we're on we're on the 3.0 train. But with the 5.10 release of AOS, that's going to be a long term support release. So that'll be longer. So that'll basically trump or, or be the next version of the long LTS, which was 5.5.x. Now it's 5.10.x and 5.10 just came out. So if you want to jump to 5.10, now you can be on a long-term support release. You can put 3.x train on there with, with Wayne and Mike, and away you go with 140 terabyte support. On, um, on that front, the how would a failover scenario work with, um, with a general share? Like, so it's tied to that one file server VM. What, you know, how, what happens if you shut it down or you know, Angelo has a really bad day on his DNS records and just powers off a node. Um, so in that case, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know why Angelo's mucking around with VMs and needs <laughs> to be updating DNS, but you know, <laughs> we, all, we all get confused. So if, if, if a file server VM did go offline, the, the general shares or even the top level directories owned by that file server VM will be moved over to one of the existing surviving, whatever you'd like to call it, file server VMs. And that, again, that's one of the reasons why we use Nutanix volumes under the covers with files. Not only is it massively scalable, but we can support things like persistent reservations and we can share that underlying file system and storage across those different file server VMs. So it's really just a matter of saying, hey, file system that represented that that you know general or standard share you're, you're not no longer owned you no longer have a reservation from file server vm1 now you have it on file server vm2 so that that switch over is very fast so we're doing ha level failover from one file server vm to the other and then to keep those user connections as persistent as possible 
We also move over the externally facing IP address of that file server VM that went offline. And that way, any existing referral that that end user or that client had to that file server VM that's now gone is moved both from a storage perspective, but also a client facing IP perspective to one of the surviving file server VMs. And in that way, you know, within say 10 to 30 seconds, we've moved everything over and that user can reconnect if needed or, or maybe seamlessly if they're not doing anything at that time to that new file server VM and its ownership. Yeah, they don't have to, the client doesn't have to relearn anything at that point because it's still exactly. connecting to the, the same IP. Exactly, yep. Um, with, uh, we're kind of getting close on, on time here, but I did, uh, at .next London, I did see uh, analytics being introduced for file services. I don't think it's out today, but can you maybe give us a, a sneak preview of what, what that's about? Yeah, analytics is something I, we're, we're really excited about it. You know, if you think about NAS and, and in general, it's a very, you know, going back to what I said, EMC for 16 years. And it's it's been, a, it's, NAS has been around forever, right? You know, it's 20, 30 years plus worth of worth of technology. And, it, and you know, innovation with the basic protocols is one thing. And, you know, it's pretty, pretty standard at this point. But with analytics, I think we're going to the next level of really giving you a modern solution. So really a modern file management solution. And, and functionally, what we're going to give you is the ability to track all the operations that occur against the file servers, the Nutanix files instances in your environment. So a lot of customers today, there's more and more compliance requirements. There's more and more internal requirements for tracking who has access to what, what are their access patterns? Is anything malicious going on with the system? I need to be able to audit this activity. I need an audit trail. I need to be able to download that for any discovery down the road. Um, you know, I, I need to understand if our, our anom anomalies occurring against the system, did someone delete a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have on accident or was it a malicious ransomware utility or, or, or virus that, that impacted the file system? So with analytics, we're becoming a consumer of our own API. So with the 3.x release, we, we had our own API for auditing that anyone could really subscribe to. You could send it off to Syslog. And we have third parties like Netrix uh, who recently announced their integration with our auditing API. So that's been there for a while. But with file analytics, we're, we're becoming our own consumer of it. So it's a file analytics VM that you know one click will deploy for you. Well, then you can then register that analytics VM to start consuming and, and subsuming the APIs for a given file server instance. Then it will keep that as a repository that you could then search over time. So if you wanted to find out what happened to a file or what, what file a given user has access to, um, you want to set alarm, anomaly alerts so that if a given threshold is reached, you'll bubble up, send an email and be like, hey, someone deleted hundreds of files, tens of uh, files, thousands of files, whatever you, whatever you decide to get a better understanding of, you know, of things that are occurring within the system. And we also give you a very simple dashboard to understand, hey, how is capacity trending changing over time? What's the age of the data in the system? You know, when, when was the last time it was touched? And, and it's, you know, another thing that we're, we're actually looking for feedback on. So, I mean, if you, if you have an account team that you're working with, or even you want to hit me on Twitter at MCGHEM um, or, or, you know, however you can reach out to us on LinkedIn, what, what have you, if you have feedback on what data age means for you, we'd love to hear it because data age can mean when the last time a file was created. So take like a healthcare scenario. I, I live outside of Boston in, in Massachusetts and there's a law in Massachusetts for a hospital for patient records that you have a 30 year retention requirement. But, but in DC, for example, 
you know, it's two year, two year requirement that that's a part of their, their local statute. So everyone's got a different requirement with respect to data age. And then the definition, what is it when it was created? Was it the last time it was read or written? Was it the last time it was updated, et cetera? So, you know, any feedback there, but we're going to put that within that interface as a, as a core feature of, you know, what are the top five accessed files? What are the top active users? And also, hey, was there a bunch of permission denial events? Hey, that might indicate something negative or malicious activity on the system. We'll bubble in what users are, do, are doing that as well. Um, you know, what kind of files are on the system? You know, file types, we have categories. So if you are storing something on there that you, you're, you know, you're expecting log files, but you have a user that's storing all their home videos on there. Like, you know, I think I think Angelo does that between DNS entries. You know, he, he dumps the videos on sure. his corporate file share. So you'd find that out right away. Like, hey, why are all these, you know, why are all these video MP4s up there? And also even the distribution of file types, so large files, small files, uh, et cetera. So it probably it gives you insights. That was our initial name. I think we're just going to call it analytics now before uh, before it goes GA. But it really gives you the insight into what's going on with the system automatically to help you make the right decisions. That's awesome because I, I remember a product called Data Gravity when it we just had released AFS back then. I'm like, man, we need Data Gravity for AFS, and now we essentially are, are building our own little version of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's it's like that. I mean, you can you can you know some of the bigger vendors like Veronis, like uh, like StealthBits, and you know like our partner Netrix. You know, they're also looking to integrate with our APIs as well. You know, so we're working with them from an alliance perspective on on, on giving that capability as well. So it's great to have the built-in functionality, which right now is somewhat Nutanix specific, but there's kind of larger compliance and data sovereignty and permission, uh, you know, minimization requirements that, you know, a lot of these kind of broader third parties can do agnostic to different platforms. So we're, you know, we're working with them as well to make sure we, we bring to market what's needed. Yeah. In the land of enterprise, you know, typically they own one of everything. So you do need a third party product kind of to stitch everything together. So yeah, definitely yeah. need to be working on that. Uh, we're coming near the, the close here. I don't know if you have any other thoughts around files or what you're working on in your your personal life that you want to share uh, before we head out the door. You know, I, on the files front, I mean, give it a try you, with with that new licensing model that I mentioned. You get one terabyte free. So you get one terabyte free for every cluster that you have in your environment. So uh, and and like I mentioned, it's it's ready it's ready to go. I mean, it's it's been in the market for for two years and it suits just about every use case uh, that we have out there. So uh, you know, give it give it a shot, stand it up. It's super easy. Just get a handful of IPs from from your folks. Get called De uh, Angelo to throw your DNS entries in for you. And uh, <laughs> you know, if you can't do it yourself, uh, away you go. Yeah, and and you know, personally, I'm. Looking forward to uh, to end a year in the holidays and spending time with uh, with family, no doubt. Yes, I'm looking forward to no emails for a little while, even if it's a couple days. Um, with that, I'll turn it over to Angelo. He always has uh, something up his sleeve for our guests. Thanks, Dwayne. Uh, Mike, I have a I have three questions, rapid fire questions for you. It just helps our audience get to know you a little better. So here are the three questions, Mike: iOS or Android? Oh boy, iOS. Ebook or physical book? Oh man, flip a coin. Uh, on a plane, I like. Well, until recently, on a plane, I liked regular book because they didn't make you put it away. So something you know, they'd make you like put away your Kindle and stuff yeah. like that in the past. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. It depends. I'm, I'm torn. I, I, I like book. <laughs> 
That always seems to be a hard one for folks. So yeah, I, I get it. And finally, I don't know how to read. <laughs> uh, no, but honestly, my Kindle, my Kindle is like it, it, it still works, and I like to look at it. But you know, I don't bring it everywhere. It's kind of a pain to, to think and bring it and charge it and all that, right? So, and I don't like reading off my phone. It you know, just the yeah. screen glare kind of stuff. So I, you know, I'm I'm torn. You got old eyes. I got. I do. Look, I, I said I was old enough. And finally, uh, favorite app. My favorite app, like a like like an appetizer for eating, because I'm you know it's around <laughs> lunchtime. I'm getting hungry. Yeah. What do you mean, like an application? Application. Your favorite app, application. Your favorite app. My favorite application. Oh man, I don't know. On your phone or you know, a, like a, for you know, a tablet. Yeah, I mean, for work, I mean, for work, I mean, mail is everything, right? So a good mail and calendar app. Um, and, you know, and we use Office 365, so I've got the uh, the mail out there. So, I mean, just, yeah. just raw usage. I mean, jumping into that and using that has to be my work favorite because I've got to got to know it, got to use it. I, I don't know. I don't I don't do a lot on my phone. I guess I, I like, you know, I like surfing on Twitter a bit. So I yeah. guess Twitter as an app was, uh, yeah. is pretty cool. I love, you know, finding the right corners of Twitter with people that, are are really on top of what they mm-hmm. what they put out there a lot of fact-based stuff that they put out there both from mm-hmm. technology and pol- politics and stuff like that so i guess I, i'll throw give twitter a shout i don't like it's out. Okay. it's pretty good i told you mike these would be the toughest questions you get so they good. are I don't know. <laughs> good stuff Dwayne. well thanks mike for joining uh been a great show we'll uh share this with everyone and thank you very much all right thanks Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Nutanix online community at next.nutanix.com for resources, blogs, and continuing the conversation in our forums. If you're interested in learning more about Nutanix files, check out nutanix.com forward slash files. So with that, from the team here at Nutanix, have a great week.